Hello and welcome to Masterpiece Conversations, a series of podcasts that in each episode brings together a leading curator and art dealer to offer a taste of what people are really talking about right now in a particular field. I'm Thomas Marks, editor of Apollo magazine, and I'll be your host for these discussions in which we're aiming to override the perceived church and state separation between museums and the art market, or at least to explore what conversation and collaboration between them makes possible. We'll be talking about what first drew our guests to their particular fields and what's really inspiring them at this point about the art they're so immersed in. And we'll dive into what the priorities are for museums and the market in that field at the moment, where they coincide and where they might even diverge productively. For this episode, the focus is on contemporary sculpture. I'm delighted to be joined by Melanie Vandenbroek, Curator of Sculpture at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, and by Mika Bowman, Director at Bowman Sculpture, specialist in sculpture from 1860 to the present day. It's great to have both of you with me. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. Let's kick off by getting to know both of you a bit. And let me ask you, Melanie, what, what first piqued your interest in contemporary sculpture, perhaps a work or an exhibition? To me, it's really been about scale. So when I started my career as a curator, I spent a lot of time looking at very small sculpture, medallic sculpture, handheld sculpture. And it was very much about the kind of intimate, visceral enjoyment of those really minute medals, some of them made by the most amazing artists like Kathy Pilkington or Edmund Bell. And then conversely, another sense of scale has been, for instance, an exhibition like Richard Serra at Gagosian, which I covered for Apollo actually a number of years ago, and being struck by how his monumental structure could touch you to the core, get beneath your skin and deep into your bones. So really the sheer joy of walking for the space. And this is what I keep returning to with sculpture, how no matter how little or no matter how large, you can build that extraordinarily deep connection to it. I wonder, and it's something we'll get onto, whether that's why people have such strong feelings about sculpture. But, but Mika, tell us how you came to contemporary sculpture. For me, I, I very much grew up around sculpture, but I think that the first time I, I was really struck by uh, contemporary sculpture was uh, more a focus on environment. I remember the first time I went to Chateau Lacoste in the south of France, um, which is you know an amazing sculpture park, and I was really, you know, I was struck by the range of sculpture, you know, representational sculpture like Louise Bourgeois' Mother, this huge spider sort of reflected in in water and the rolling landscape, and again seeing uh, Richard Serra there, you know, architectural structure, and what really hit me was the difference of environment, you know, we're so used to seeing sculpture in, in home settings or in museum settings, or for me, particularly in a commercial setting. And it was a very different experience to see it sort of spread throughout the, the landscape. And it was more of a more of a sort of two hour long adventure walk where you're surprised by things and they're popping out out of, you know, various environmental factors, uh, rolling hills, bushes. It was exciting and, and a new way for me to experience contemporary sculpture. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, this this sense in which still sculptors working today work in their version in situ of perhaps an older tradition in which a sculpture in the landscape or in a building or even in your hand reorients or helps you reorientate yourself with the world around you. 
Melanie, that's sort of where, where you were going, I guess, with this idea of scale. Absolutely. And I think one of the ways in which we connect so deeply about sculpture is very much about the three dimensionality of it and the three dimensionality of us and the ways that those two three dimensionalities interconnect with each other. And sculpture is about moving around it or handling it. It's about experiencing it from all sorts of different angles as Mika was saying it's about the environment in which it's being shown and also sometimes about how a change of environment you know if you've seen a piece in different places it can throw completely different associations in your mind. Can, can you give an example of, of a piece like the, the, that's done that I mean maybe Louise Bourgeois's Maman Spiders are, are one because Absolutely. we all have seen or, or seen the images at least of of the spider, what it did to Tate Modern. Suddenly it's it's mm. kind of part of almost turning the building into, if you want it one way, having a, a threatening presence. But of course, it's also a spider called Maman, Mother, and that, that somehow can welcome you underneath it. Let me ask you, Melanie, just to, to think about where the field is at the moment, because I'm kind of interested, not just in the fact of contemporary sculpture, but kind of where the direction of travel is in terms of research and display at the moment. What What's surprised or pleased you about that in, in recent years? Well, I think thinking about the sculpture in themselves, what's really struck me is how contemporary sculpture is so much of today. And 2021 is such a particular moment in history, you know, one one being touched by a number of crises, whether you're thinking about the environmental crisis or, you know, the elephant in the room, the, the pandemic. And I think sculpture is more and more to do with ethics and the issues of our time and showing how sculpture is far from a static medium. So, for instance, the fourth plinth shortlist is a case in point, really, with issues as wide as consumerism and waste and the enduring legacies of colonial violence and empires, the politics of space, migration, globalization, sex, gender, trans right, fragility, vulnerability. So sculpture is saying so much about the world we live in. And to some extent, academics and curators and dealers also have to keep up with that space, that pace and that space and keep up with what those artists and what their public are throwing in terms of questions and issues. I've been also really interested in the ways that artists have been really showing how conscious they are of the environment from a from a climate perspective and from a world perspective. So, you know, thinking about Carol Walker's work at the Tate which through incredibly poignant and raw questions about the legacies of colonialism and empire and slavery, but also was made using techniques that were very specifically chosen to be environmentally friendly. And I thought that was extraordinarily important how artists are leading the way and as curators and dealers we have to follow on that and follow that lead. But I think also there's a return to making, to matter, to the madedness of sculpture and its sensory enjoyment. I'm thinking, for instance, about the work of someone like Eleanor Lakelin, who's working across established boundaries in a very material way. For instance, working in wood using furniture making techniques to make sculptural pieces that reference ceramic idioms and architectural structures. So really trying to make us to flex our boundaries, our own boundaries, our own intellectual boundaries. And this is this is really a way that kind of interconnectivity and 
between issues, between materials, between mixed media, which is becoming more and more important and relevant. Making is a very interesting movement back towards the feeling for materials, because it, it does link back to this whole idea of environment and the sense of how sculpture connects us to the world around us, because it can also connect us to materials that are already in existence uh, rather than materials that are man-made. It's more how we relate to these materials that we find or, or we cultivate. Mika, let me ask you, in terms of the artists you've been working with, is there a sense in which, you know, there's this, this refreshed focus on materials and making has come to the fore in, in their work and in the conversations you're having around it? I think, you know, in terms of sculptural methods and materials, people have been working with several of them for, for decades now. You know, we have bronze and, and stone carvers and people working in ceramic. And although these have been used for hundreds and thousands of years, I think there are always new and, and innovative ways in which people are using them. I think bronze will always be a fantastic medium. Any sort of metal casting is, is a great way to you know, create multiples of a work of art and also a really great sort of durable way to to present an artwork that's very close to the original, normally clay. You know, one of our, the artists we work with, uh, Hanukkah Beaumont, she moulds models in clay and in terracotta, but then casts her work into bronze and into cast iron. And just the way that the material has evolved, I would say, over the last you know, a couple of years, we have so many more colours, so many more options in terms of the tones that you can get in bronze and, and the rich sort of ochre colours that, that are achievable in cast iron. And again, things like ceramics, which we've been using for practical reasons and also artistic reasons for centuries, there are, you know, so many new ways in which artists are using them. Actually, one of the artists that we're just starting to work with now, Fiamma Colonna Montague, She's using ceramics in, in completely new ways, you know, creating sort of vast scale sculptures, totems. It's an ever-changing sort of area to work in and you can keep working with your materials. I'm interested in this, the fact that bronze never goes away, as it were, because, I mean, obviously it's durable and ancient pieces have injured. But it's sort of going back to, Melanie, the, what you're talking about in terms of our connection to the world. I, I think of someone like Giuseppe Pannone actually casting trees out of bronze and other sculptors have been doing this too. The, the, the British sculptor and artist Hugo Wilson has been casting trees and tree-like objects out of bronze. I, I think that's just an interesting moment where one natural material is being transformed alchemically into a material that mankind, humankind has worked with for millennia. Absolutely. And I think this is one of the things that's particularly interesting in the way that artists have been working with so-called traditional media is that they've never stopped being relevant. And the world around us has never stopped being relevant, the natural world around us. And what I found often quite interesting in those experimentations with media is how 
one artist might be playing with one material, pretending it's another one. So, for instance, you know, thinking about George Bartlett's, when you look at these monumental bronzes, they have sometimes that feel of wood and they seem to have been carved or they seem to have been charred. And then you realize that they have that kind of hardness to them. Or if you think about artists working in plaster, plaster being really porous and being really you know, extremely fragile, as we know in the cast courts at the VNA, but often pretending to be something that it is not and playing with perceptions and playing with your idea of what you're looking at and how you're relating to it. And I think really the idea of, of traditional materials and techniques being a traditional thing is almost a kind of misnomer because if an artist is ex experimenting a material in a completely different way, in a completely new way, demonstrating how this matter can matter in a, in a very contemporary manner, then it is really exciting and, and a real kind of privilege to be looking at this. And then sometimes you have artists who are transforming already made objects. So I'm thinking, for instance, of an artist like Jonathan Owen, who transforms those 19th century marble sculptures, subverts them, reactivates them, almost breaks and unlocks their history in very uncanny and unsettling works, which make you question what you are seeing and whether you, how you feel about it as well, if that makes sense. I think one of the reasons why we might sometimes think of these traditional materials as old hat, as it were, is almost an accident of how art history has been written, that we have this assumption that both found objects, ready-mades, but also assembled objects were how sculpture developed in the 20th century. So, you know, people piecing things together, even thinking about sculptors in the, the 60s and the sculptors from the geometry of fear group that everything went lynn chadwick or that everything went anthony caro and was welded together in pieces now that's just one of the sculptural traditions that has continued and flourished in later 20th century but mika i i wanted to ask you about sort of how how sculpture is and and the idea of what is contemporary is brought towards the public and how it's interpreted it, it does seem to me that people have very strong feelings about sculpture. Is that something you experience in, in your work? I think so. I think that, you know, unlike paintings or, or two-dimensional objects, three-dimensional objects like sculpture are, are much more imposing and sort of more part of, of the world that we, that we consciously live in. And I think that the boundaries of sculpture are, are ever expanding. You know, what is sculpture now? Or what is figurative sculpture or conceptual sculpture you speak about sort of ready-made objects and you think about artists like like Ai Weiwei who are creating sort of huge steel structures out of uh, reinforced construction bars. All of these artists that are that are responding directly to, to political situations going on in their own countries. And I think that people have learned to engage with sculpture in so many more so many more ways. And I think that there's certainly a difference between seeing something as I was saying in a, in a domestic setting or in a museum setting or, or in a natural setting that given the vast expanse of sculpture available to us now that we've learned to interpret it in a multitude of ways. Melanie I'm not sure it would be true to say that sculpture has become more political because it's always been political how people have used sculptural objects to 
express power, how people have related to sculptural objects to respond to or sometimes subvert power. But it's certainly become more politicized uh, at this point. And that's not just statuary. I think that's almost any object that maybe we might find in public space or that might have that imposition. I think that's it's really the word, Mika, the, the imposing nature of sculpture that people find that, that they have to have an opinion about. But but in your work, Melanie, how is this politicization registered as you're thinking about curating exhibitions or displays? I think, as you say, sculpture has always been political and is always in some way expressing views, whether it's the views of the commissioners, the views of the artists, the views of the pastel, the views of the viewers. We are looking at them now. I think some forms of sculpture have become more conspicuous and visible in very recent times, so certainly public sculpture, which might have become somehow inconspicuous, kind of almost disappearing within the urban environment as we've uh, become more used to seeing them, have been incredibly more visible over the past couple of years, particularly around the, the kind of debate of who is represented in the public realm and in public sculpture and how those people are represented and whether we want them to be there or whether they are being interpreted enough. And really, it's a question of interpretation, which I think is crucial here, particularly in the case of museum work, which is that when curators present artworks to the public, and there's various reasons why we decide to present artworks, but we always want to tell a story and not necessarily tell a kind of finite and very carefully framed story, but a story that the audience, the viewers, the visitors engages with, responds to, interrogates, sometimes disagrees with, sometimes teases out, sometimes challenges us to speak about in different ways. And I think it's really about this kind of openness, this intellectual scrutiny, in the messages that the object carries across and how we present it to the public and in how we museum workers really have to be open to the kind of dialogues that those artworks might be bringing to the fore. Dialogues which can be uncomfortable and I think uncomfortable dialogues are very healthy and we probably want to have them in the galleries just to to be able to throw things into all sorts of different perspectives. Mika, I, I suppose some of the sculptors you work with, I think, have an immediate accessibility in terms of the forms or the quality of materials that they use. I'm thinking of someone like Emily Young's work. Is that something that you find when people approach those works in the gallery or, or on an art fair stand, for instance? I think, as you say, there, there's certainly an, an openness and accessibility to them in the sense that um, a lot of the sculptors that we work with work with the human form or figurative artworks, which, of course, are, are easy for us to interpret and understand as it's a reflection of ourselves. But I do think that I think that all art needs interpretation. It needs a little bit of education behind it. A lot of art is about at least for me, it's about the story that, that comes along with it. And I think there's, you know, one way when you're just looking at something and you're visually enjoying it and perhaps you're interpreting it in your own way, which is very important. But I think it's also important to have, you know, whether whether it's a dealer or a museum curator or some text on the wall that tells you a little bit more about the artist or, or the artwork. There's always more to read into. There's always more that you can learn and always a story and something to go along with it that, that I think increases your understanding of an object. 
Let me ask you both, since I've got a curator from the V&A and an art dealer together in conversation, I'm really interested to know in this field how far museums and the market find themselves collaborating. Mika, is it something that is part of your work at the gallery to collaborate with museums? We, we talk to um, museum creators a lot, obviously, you know, we meet them at, at the various art shows that, that we that we participate in. And we have certainly, you know, we've worked with people like Joseph Becker, and he, he's a curator and a scholar of modern contemporary sculpture. And, you know, through that connection, we've helped him to organise exhibitions of Hannah Beaumont and Emily Young at the uh, Maya Museum. And... You know, we've also actually had works by Emily at the V&A before through, you know, Dr. Antonia Bostrom, Director of Collections. And all of these connections are, are important and usually come about because the person we've met has met us or is interested in the artist. And I think we do all we can to help facilitate exhibitions. It's, you know, obviously wonderful for us to get um, the artists involved. The artist is thrilled to be, you know, seen in a museum setting, which is obviously fantastic for their career. And I think that museums are, at least in my experience, always interested in, in, you know, getting new contemporary works in there. So it's wonderful as a dealer to be able to help facilitate those, those sorts of arrangements or perhaps arrange a talk or, or something along those lines. And Melanie, in terms of in, in the contemporary sculpture field, what role for the curator does the market play? Is it sort of partly about kind of access to to new artists or obviously with some artists who are megastar artists it may also be a a financial relationship to to some degree let's face it what for you do you think are the kind of real kind of meeting points between the museum and, and the market I think the relation between curators and dealers is extremely important. And actually, quite often you have quite personal relationships between one specific curator and one specific dealer who will be of a number of years, you know, building projects and ideas. And I think where galleries really play a very crucial part is, and you touched on this just before, it's in how they are very proactive at bringing artists to the attention of museums, particularly up-and-coming artists. Uh, you were talking about, you know, financial concerns. And and I think for a museum, it's particularly exciting to be able to support an artist at an early stage in their career. But also from a purely financial point of view, it's much more affordable to be acquiring from, from a, a younger artist, if I may speak so directly. And also what's quite important in the relationship between galleries and artists is that dealers will be aware that museums may not always move as quickly as private art collectors and they're very understanding. And so an acquisition, for instance, can take a number of years from the moment when you have the initial conversation between curator, artist and, and dealer and the moment when the object finally enters in the museum. And it's partly thanks to the patient the kind of doggedness as well of, <laughs> of the dealers, of the generosity quite often, you know, that there is such a thing as, as museum prices, you know, in which galleries will privilege museums because they know how important it is to have a work in a public collection, protected, preserved for perpetuity, for the public to enjoy, but also how important it is to the status of the artists and so on and so forth. 
And there will be this this relationship will be really crucial in terms of just the patience, the graft, the crafts that it takes from you know the beginning to the end in in terms of getting an object into collections. And then galleries sometimes also are really crucial in connecting curators and collectors, which is a, a very very important aspect of their work too. Mika, do you think museums and the art trade in the field of contemporary sculpture could collaborate even more effectively? I think so. You know, I, I think, well, it's more of a question really for Melanie, I suppose. I would imagine that, that the biggest sort of issue surrounding how much dealers and, and museums actually get a chance to connect would be purely a matter of time. Surely with, with all of the responsibilities that you have going on in, in your life and in your work, you know, how regularly do you, how often, I suppose, do you manage to go around gallery exhibitions or, or to art fairs or whatever it might be? I mean, particularly in somewhere like London, where they're absolutely everywhere and there's so much going on. And, you know, we're really lucky to be surrounded by so many upcoming artists and so many galleries with, with important things to say and with different information. You know, how do you find it possible to engage with, with all of them? I think you've you've hit the nail on on the head here. Absolutely, time is a major issue. Time and resources, and curators are stretched. Part of the beauty of the job is that we have so many things to do, so many objects to care for, so many, so much responsibility for the collections. And curators today wear a lot of different hats. Curators are not just collectors. Curators are not just keepers. You know, our role is not just to acquire work for the collections or display work. And time is at a premium. And this is one of the reasons why I think a lot of curators are really grateful to dealers for being proactive at getting in touch, but also being patient. Because sometimes, you know, answering an email might not be as straightforward as one might think. And popping into a gallery, as you say, might not be as straightforward as one might think. So yes, absolutely, this would be one of the major issues. But I think on the whole, curators and dealers work incredibly well together. And Whilst I've been talking about how grateful curators might be of just the collaborations they get with commercial art galleries, I would hope that the opposite is true and that commercial galleries are equally very grateful of, of the time they spend with, with curators and just a very nurturing, invigorating and exciting dialogues that take place. Always, always. I think it's amazing whenever you have a museum curator visiting the gallery or perhaps on your stand it's always a fantastic opportunity as I was saying before you know for for the artists that we work in on the topic of time I think that the art fairs you know like Masterpiece must be a really great place for museum curators and it's certainly where where we see most of them that that we're you know, in contact with or friends with, it's sort of one-stop shopping, really. I suppose you get to go to a location where you have, you know, 200 dealers all under one roof and you can go and kind of see them all in across the period of two days and get a chance to have a conversation. But I suppose now with the year of lockdown and COVID, we've also started looking at, you know, technical ways or you know virtual ways at which we can display art certainly online but I'm wondering perhaps if it's you know an idea if if we were to share these things with with museum curators you know via email or via a link we you know have started taking videos of our gallery space or creating sort of little curated virtual exhibitions of the things that we have going on and whether that would be an option for for sharing things more that way you don't even need to leave home. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think 
absolutely art fairs are really crucial to connect and reconnect to see what individual galleries have been up to and the new connections they might have made with you know new artists whether they they be uh, alive or, or long gone and I think that to some extent nothing replaces meeting in the flesh whether it's meeting the object in the flesh or or meeting individuals in the flesh I think in terms of a, a sustainable model you know, thinking about climate change again and, and about carbon footprints. There's something to be said about online art fairs and about the fact that, you know, people do not necessarily have to go for the kind of annual circuit of, you know, just jumping on a plane and going around the world to Miami and Basel and Maastricht and so on and so forth. So there's something to be said about the online version of this. But there's also something slightly impersonal in making that first connection by email. And I think actually being able, if you can't talk to someone in the flesh, being able to talk via video link, being able to hear each other's voice, being able to get excited together and enthusiastic and passionate is something that you don't really get by an email, <laughs> you know. Well, I, I love the idea of, a, of an art fair as a, a one-stop shop, but not necessarily for, <laughs> for objects, but for conversations and the idea that we go to them shopping for conversations. And while we can't go to so many physical fairs, perhaps I suggest that all the contemporary sculpture curators and dealers in London might have a, a regular meeting below the fourth plinth to, to discuss <laughs> uh, plans and projects and plots, like like spies in the old days, perhaps. <laughs> Thank you to Melanie Vandenbroek and Mika Bowman for joining me on Masterpiece Conversations. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much for having us. You've been listening to Masterpiece Conversations, a podcast brought to you by Masterpiece London. The fair returns to the Royal Hospital Chelsea in the summer of 2022. For more information and to enjoy further content brought to you by the fair and its exhibitors, head to www.masterpiecefair.com.